If you're new to Destiny, my name's Matt Bell. I'm the pastor. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today. It's great to see you. I'm so blessed and honored that you would come and, and worship the Lord with us. And I believe God's got something great for you this morning. I, b- I believe that. I believe God wants to speak to you today through his word. I believe God wants to fill you afresh with his spirit today. And so Acts chapter 2 today is where we will be. I would encourage you to open your Bibles there today. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at um, as much of it as we can in the time that we have uh, together. And uh, before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Lord, without your word, we would be lost. Without your word, we would be walking in darkness. But you have spoken by your word. The first words you ever spoke were, let there be light. And there was light. So God, shed light on your word this morning. Bring illumination to our hearts. We thank you for your revelation right here that we hold in our hands. But Lord, that you would breathe upon it and and have it come alive to us today in our hearts and in our spirit Lord, let them not just be words, but let them be the power of God unto salvation for us today as we open your word. I thank you, God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. And so, Lord, as your people today assembled in your presence, that you would put faith in our hearts to believe in you, to trust in you, Lord, to, to, to step out into the, to being the people of God that you've called us to be, to shine as lights in this world of darkness, in this culture that is running so far from you, that we would be your people living uh, to, to shine and to show forth the glory of God in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God loves you. God loves you. Every single person in here today, God loves you. I don't say that to you as just an assembly. I say that to you as individuals right where you're at. God loves you. He knows who you are. The Bible says he knows your name. The Bible says that even more than that, he knows the number of hairs on your head. My kids were talking about that this week as I drove them to school one day. They were talking about how many hairs do I have on my head? Their estimate was six million. I I didn't know if that was even close or so far off. I didn't know. I, I don't know how many hairs we have on our head. Some of us have more than others, but anyway... God knows the exact number. Think about that. God knows more about you than you even know about yourself. And God has set his love upon you. Whatever your background, wherever you come from, whether you've been serving the Lord all the days of your life, been serving the Lord for 80 years, Or maybe last night you were passed out drunk in a bar. God loves you. God loves you. You might have been running from God for the last 20 years. God loves you. God loves you today. The Bible says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Jesus has died for you. That is God's love towards you, that he would pay the price himself to purchase your salvation. God loves you today. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you are someone who has been loved by God. You might be running from God. Trust me, God is running after you today. To experience God, all you got to do is stop running. Turn around. He's right there. He is pursuing you today. He's pursuing all of us today. Amen. The only reason we are anything is because he has loved us, because he has pursued us, because he has saved us and sanctified us and filled us and will one day glorify us. It's all of his work in all of our lives. We can't do anything without him, the Bible says. I didn't bring any notes this morning, so... um, I was about to say I need to get back to my notes, but I didn't even bring any, so I have nothing to get back to today. You need to know that God loves you. If you only hear one thing today, you need to hear and know that God loves you. Now, we are in the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts together. Uh, I love the book of Acts. The, The book of Acts is totally unique in all of Scripture There's only one book of the Bible like the book of Acts. There's only one book of the Bible that tells the life and the birth and the story of the church. There's four books in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus, his life, his birth, his his death, his burial, his resurrection. There's four books in the Bible that tell that story. There's only one book that tells the story of how it went from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of his church. And this is where we're at as a church. We're going through this book of the Bible together. And before we get to Acts chapter 2 this morning, I want to remind you, I want to to look back at, at where we have been the last few weeks. And the first is to remind you of a passage from Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said that, I have risen from the dead as the scriptures predicted, And it's now your job to go and to proclaim to all the nations my resurrection, of which you are witnesses, Christ says in verse 48. You're witnesses of these things. In verse 49, he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Say that word, upon. Upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. Jesus had explained that clearly to the disciples. We read about that in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. But then as we turn the page from from Luke's uh, gospel to the, the, the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, he says this, while they were staying together with Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then the theme verse that connects all of this together should really be the theme verse of our lives as Christians, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How many of you love Jesus? You, you just, you love God. You love the Lord. Now, you would say, you, you might be a little bit um, hesitant to raise your hands because when I ask that question, you're, you're painfully aware of, all, aware of all the ways that you don't love Jesus. How many of you live with that every single day that, yes, I love the Lord, but I also know that I don't love him the way that I should. He is perfect, and he is wonderful, and he is so good to me, and try as I might, there, there are times that I just don't love him the way that I should. But how many, even in that, you would say, but I love him. Though I may fall, though I may fall short a million times, I love the Lord. I love him. He's been so good to me. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. That he poured his love on us. And, and in response to that love, we love him. He loved the Lord. How many of you know that Jesus is your only hope? That without, without Christ and, and his saving you, you, you know that you would be so lost. You remember before you were a Christian and how just lost you were. But Jesus saved you. Saved you from your sins. Has given you salvation, eternal life. And you know that without Christ I am lost. Without Christ I have no hope. Now, some of us, like myself, I, I gave my life to the Lord so many times before I could even remember. I can't really remember being, quote, unquote, lost. But there are many times where I have strayed from the Lord. And so while I can't remember being lost, I can remember straying. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if it weren't for the persistent love of God expressed to me through Christ, I would be so lost that Jesus truly is my only hope. How many of you say that's you? You know that. Amen. Now, how many of you would also say that you have friends, family, loved ones that you care deeply about that they don't know Jesus, that they're not saved, that they haven't put their faith in Christ, that they haven't come to Christ, they haven't received the salvation that only comes through Christ. How many of you have friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, people you care deeply about, but you know that they're lost? You know that they are lost. How many of you have friends, family, coworkers, loved ones that you... you, you you're not exactly sure where they're at. They may profess faith. They may show up to church on Christmas and Easter. You know, the CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only, right? That, that, but, but there's really no fruit of a, of a relationship with God. There's no fruit of, of salvation. And, and so you, you worry about them. You're concerned about them. How many of you have a, a, this sense that I want them to be saved. I want them to serve the Lord. Maybe it's your children or, or your grandchildren. 
you have this intense and deep desire that they would come to know Jesus, to experience the life, the eternal life that you have, that only he can give. Now, all of that being said, I think that applies to all of us in this room, that we know and we care deeply about people that we're just not sure where they're at with the Lord. And we know that Jesus is their only hope. Yet at the same time, how many of us do not witness to them? We know that Jesus is our only hope. We know that he has saved us radically, that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that he has given us eternal life and filled us with his spirit. But for whatever reason, we stop short of of sharing the gospel with these people that we love and care about so deeply that maybe you've tried before and and they've they've shut you down or they've shut you out or they've said that they're not interested in that or or maybe it's your own fear of of failure and and what am I going to say? Am I I going to say the right things? And and how will I look? And will they receive me? That, That for whatever reason, there's some kind of barrier that that stops you from being a witness for Christ. I don't, I don't want to do this, and I'm, I'm not going to, but I, I have a fear that if I asked you this morning, how many of you have shared your faith with someone this year? You've witnessed to someone this year. You've shared the gospel with someone this year. I, I have this feeling that not many hands would go up. And there's this huge disconnect between we know that Christ is the only hope, that without him, the world is lost. But we stop short of being witnesses. We stop short of sharing our faith. We we stop short of of living this life of, of, of constantly sharing the gospel and showing the gospel For whatever reason, there's some sort of barrier there. And let me tell you what you need. Let me tell you what the answer is. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what you need. What Jesus talks about here, being clothed with power from on high. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need God's power to rest on you. Jesus told his disciples, he said, guys, I've got an important job for you. You're called to be my witnesses. You're called to go out and preach. You're called to shine my light in this dark world. But before you step out into that, there's something that you need. There's something that you need. Now, think about the disciples. They had been with Jesus for three straight years. Three straight years. Every single day they spent time with Jesus. Every single day. All day. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine Just an average day as you're caught up in a storm and Jesus says, hey, wind and waves, stop acting up. Settle down out there, wind and waves. 
the storm stops. That's just a Tuesday. That's just going from him feeding 5,000 on his way to go heal an entire village. On the way, he speaks to the storm. That's, that's just, that's Tuesday. Can you imagine seeing that with your eyes, experiencing that? Jesus ministered for three years. He, he traveled from village to village, going into what he called the next town. And, and he would go and he would teach and he would preach the word of God. No one has ever taught and preached like Jesus did. Jesus was the word made flesh. It says when people heard the word Jesus preached that their hearts burned within them. That, that something that was dead in them came alive when Jesus preached. That people who, who even were against Jesus, when they heard him teach, they marveled and they said, we've never heard anything like this. Where did he get this authority, this power? The disciples would hear Jesus teach all the time. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. Everywhere Jesus ate, they ate. Where Jesus slept, they slept. Three years, over 1,000 days they spent together. They watched Jesus be, the mobs turn on him. They watched him falsely accused and put on a false trial because we know that Jesus was perfect, never sinned. Yet Jesus goes to the cross willingly and dies willingly for the sins of the world. And they thought all hope was lost. But on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead defeating Satan, defeating hell, defeating sin, defeating death. And one of the sort of emotionally, um, that's, what's the right word here? Unbalanced of their disciples. One of the, the very emotionally unbalanced women went to the tomb that morning. And she came back bringing rumors that Jesus wasn't there and that an angel appeared to her and said that he was alive and they said, oh Mary, you've, you've lost your mind again. We gotta go check this out for ourselves and they showed up and the tomb was empty. And Jesus, later that night, he appeared to them though they were behind locked and closed doors and he said, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. They saw the risen Christ with their eyes. And for 40 days, he was with them and taught them and instructed them on what they were to do and how they were to do it and how it was their job to take his gospel to the whole world. But he said, you got to wait for something. You still lack something. There's still something that you need if you're going to be effective witnesses for me. They had heard it all. They had heard every sermon. They knew the Bible. They had given their lives to Jesus. They were certainly Christians, but they lacked something. They lacked the power of God. 
they lacked this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, go and wait. And so what do they do? They go and they wait. And we saw what they were doing last week as they waited, that they were praying together, that they were searching the scriptures together, that they were seeking God together, about 120 of them. And in Acts chapter 2 is now, this is the day that Jesus is going to baptize them in the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 1, when, that was my introduction, by the way. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were staying. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And here Luke lists for us that the, the nations that these people had come from had gathered for this feast of Pentecost there that day. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Basically, this is all the known world at the time. If you take this and overlay it on a map, it represents all of the Roman Empire from that day. That because of this festival on this day, the day of Pentecost, that Jewish people who had been scattered from the exile that happened some hundreds of years earlier had regathered to celebrate this feast and festival in Jerusalem on that day. But they know the languages of the nations they came from. But listen to what he says, or they say as they hear the disciples. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and they were saying that they are filled with new wine, basically saying these people are just drunk. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and hear my words. For this people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour or it is only 9 a.m. And next week, we're gonna look at the sermon that Peter preached. 
Sermons, uh, Peter stands up and he preaches the first Christian sermon. He gives the first gospel presentation. And 3,000 souls are saved on that day. 3,000 souls. This incredible outpouring of God's Spirit. Now the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to enable effective Christian witness. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. To make you witnesses. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He says, wait for me. You're gonna be my witnesses, but wait until you are clothed with power from on high. If you are going to be a witness for Christ, you need what Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you in the Spirit. This baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, every Christian, when we come to Christ, we are regenerated. We are born again by the Spirit of God. And when we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are filled with the Spirit. We have God's Spirit on the inside of us. There's no doubt about this. The Scripture is abundantly clear. If you are a Christian, you have Jesus on the inside, the Spirit of Christ on the inside. There's no question about that. But there is another experience. There is another thing that you need to be an effective witness for Christ. And Jesus calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If, if you will uh, flip back to, um, if, you, if you are able to, John chapter 14, quickly this morning. In John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him. You, however, speaking to his disciples, and that would translate to us because we are part of his disciples, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, if, if I'm, I'm gonna start flipping around a lot. Uh, skip down to 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, this is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. So here the, the Spirit's job is to bear witness about Christ. If you skip over to verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
Verse 13 of 16, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. Verse 14, he will glorify Christ. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then if you flip all the way to Acts chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection. Verse 21, he appears to them. Jesus appears to them and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go back to that verse in John chapter 14, it says, you will know the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been with you and he will be in you. And then in Acts chapter one, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And so what happens in this is that the Holy Spirit is with us as God's people always, always. And when we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. This is that picture of Jesus breathing on his disciples saying, receive the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, it's, it's as if the breath of God is blowing into our souls and reviving what is dead and making it come alive. And now we have the Spirit of God. But there is this other thing where the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that, that, that regenerates us, that, that brings us into the church, that makes us a part of the family of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But what Jesus does is he takes us and he baptizes us into his spirit. And his spirit is on us in power. And when we look at what happens all throughout the book of Acts, and it's really important that we understand this. This is why I'm taking a little bit of time to lay the foundation for it today. Because everything that happens in the life of the church flows out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it comes from it. It, it. it cannot start and begin until this happens. They have to wait for it. But once the Spirit has been poured out upon them, they are filled with supernatural power. Power from on high. This same Peter who denied Christ to a 14-year-old girl stands up in the same city that crucified Christ to the same crowds that yelled crucified him and he stands up and preaches Christ crucified. He preaches Christ risen from the dead. He preaches Jesus as Messiah. What happened? He had the power of God. The, 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 the spirit of God enables us weak and broken and frail and afraid people to be filled with a spirit of boldness to preach and to proclaim and to shine and to share the love of God and this passion to do it, this, this unwavering determination, this conviction that falls upon the people of God that People living in sin are, are truly lost. All of this comes through the baptism of the Spirit. And what the Spirit does, look, I want, I want you to see this. All throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see this over and over and over and over and over again. 
But what the Spirit does is the Spirit removes barriers from the gospel going forward. There's a barrier there. There's people there that, that don't have the same language from every nation under heaven, it says. They don't speak the language that the disciples speak. So how is it that they're going to preach the gospel to them if they don't have the language? Well, the Holy Spirit, he just gives them the language. He gives them the language. The barrier is removed through the power of God so that the gospel can go forward. This is what happens. And so if you want in your life the barriers that are stopping the gospel from going forward to your family members, to your coworkers, to the people that you love dearly, what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. You need God to work and to remove the barriers. Maybe the barriers are the, the hardened hearts of, of the people that you love. Well, what can soften people's hearts? It's only the power of the Spirit of God. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. Whatever's in the way, he gets it out of the way so that the gospel can go forward, so that the gospel can be preached. There's only one power of God into salvation. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. There's only one power of God. It, the, the, the people are not saved through signs and wonders. People are not saved through this demonstration of God's power. It doesn't happen that way. But it removes the barrier so that the gospel can be preached, which is the power of God unto salvation. And so we, we have to, if we're going to see revival, revival in our land, revival in our family, revival in our community, revival in our, our city, revival in our nation, it's only going to come through a moving of the power of God's spirit in God's people. That's where it's gonna come from. It's not gonna come from whoever sits in the White House. I'm sorry. It's not gonna come from the senators in the House of Representatives. It's going to come from the church. God's people, God's people who are filled with God's spirit, who are baptized in a power that is not their own, and who will step out in boldness with a conviction, a burning conviction from God. This is what the world needs for the gospel to go forward. Demonstrations of the power of God. And the power of God can demonstrate in, a, in any multitude of ways. We can't limit the demonstrations of the power of God to one thing, to a particular gift or to a particular expression. The power of God can be demonstrated in so many different ways. The power of God can be demonstrated even in your own passion for the Lord. As, as your family members see that you love Jesus and you're so passionate about Jesus and you're so on fire for Jesus, they'll say, what is this? Who is that person? Where did they come from? But when that happens, dear friend, know that it is time to share the gospel. 
It's time to step forward and to say, listen, I was dead inside, but now I'm alive. The Jesus who was dead is now alive. And if you will put your faith and trust and hope in him, you can have the same thing. This is what it's about. The power of the Holy Spirit alive inside of the church. And so Jesus pours out his spirit upon his church, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, what he, what he said was, I baptize with water, but there's someone who's going to come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire, fire. And we see on this day that fire came down and oh, I would love to take you back to Leviticus and talk about the fire coming down in the tabernacle and go to Chronicles and talk about the fire coming down in the temple. But what you need to know is that this is a picture of the place where God's spirit dwells. And when God's spirit, while it used to dwell in a tent and then it dwelt in a building, no longer is it confined to a physical space. God's spirit now dwells in his people that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the place where heaven and earth meet. We are now ambassadors for Christ and for his kingdom, taking his spirit everywhere that we go. If you want to be an effective witness for Christ, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You must have this power in your life. Now, I don't want to get into formulas. There's so many different traditions and denominations and formulas for how to have this happen and how to make this happen and how many times it should happen. I don't want to get into all of that. The Bible says that we nullify the power of God by the traditions of men. It's not about a tradition. It's not about a formula. Formulas don't work with God. Have you found that out? You know why? Because God is a person. Just like formulas don't work on your spouse, They don't, it just doesn't work that way. God's not interested in formulas. He's interested in a relationship. In Acts chapter four, these same disciples, after they face some opposition and persecution, and, and at some point we'll get to Acts chapter four, I don't know when, but we'll get there. They, they pray again for another outpouring of God's spirit in their life. And it says that God's spirit came again. But it wasn't a rushing mighty wind and it didn't appear as fire. Instead, it says the place that they were, that the building shook. And in this time, it says that they were filled again with the Spirit, that the Spirit came upon them again, but they didn't receive other languages or tongues. This time, they went out and they preached the word boldly, this bold proclamation of the gospel. 
And other times when, when the Holy Spirit falls in the book of Acts, we'll see that people speak in other languages or tongues, that, but other people, they just overflow with praises to God. Just this overflowing adoration and love and praise for God. That other people are filled and, and they begin to prophesy and to speak forth the word of God. So I, I, I'm careful to not say that, oh, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like. And it always looks like this. And, and when it happens, this is what always happens. Because when you look at the book of Acts, man, sometimes it happens this way and sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes it happens before they even give the altar call. So it, this one time Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit falls on people and he's not even given the salvation message yet. He hasn't even invited them to, to put their faith in Jesus and they're filled with God's spirit. So we can't, we can't put God in our, our boxes. I don't care how big your box is. It's too small for God. But we have to, as a church, Man, would God stir us up, stir us up for a revival in our land, a revival. Maybe you don't have faith to believe for San Antonio revival, but man, you could, you could believe for your family. You could believe for your family. Let me tell you how it starts. It starts with you getting set on fire for Jesus this baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. The power of God in your life, the power of God put on display. And what we see here is that the power of God draws a crowd, gets people's attention. It causes people to, to kind of wake up. Something strange is going on here. They say, what does this mean? And I believe that as the church, as this church, if we will hunger and thirst to live lives that are spirit-filled and spirit-led and desire to, to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and to seek and to pursue after that, that you will see demonstrations, manifestations of the Spirit's power in your life that will cause people to say, that's unusual. That's not normal. What does this mean? And you, like Peter, will stand up where previously you were afraid, where previously you were ashamed, where previously you didn't know that you would have the right words to say, and you will say, this is the power of God. This is Jesus, the risen Christ, working, moving, and you need Jesus. Amen. That's how it starts. It starts with one person in one family, in one community, saying, I, I, am, I am going to see God move in my family. Being driven by the Spirit into times of prayer, into times of intercession, into times of, of tuning out the world and tuning in to God and to saying, I am, am, am not going to be satisfied until I see a move of God in my life, 
in my family, in my city, in my generation. That's where it starts. But if we are just so tuned into the world, God help us. God forgive us. We know who got voted off the island. We know who the bachelor picked. But we don't know the word of God. We know who won in in Nevada. But we don't know the power of God. And the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, revival's never gonna come to this land if God's people don't get on board. It's not gonna start out there, it's gonna start in here with some people who just come hungry, come thirsty, push into God, pursue God, say, I want everything that you have for me.